All right, good morning. How is everybody doing this morning? It is good to see you here. Thankful that you're here, thankful that you're with us. Uh, pardon me as I'm going to take a sip of water real quick. Um, I promise you I'm fine. I am dealing with uh, allergies. I know in the midst of all the sickness, I know this is not a call it an allergy. Like I've, I've gone and, um, uh, you know, our family all kind of came down with a cough. My wife went and got tested. Everything came back perfectly fine. And doctors are just saying, no, you guys are dealing with the change in weather and everything that comes with the change in weather. And so that's what we're currently dealing with in my house. So hopefully by God's grace, you're not having to deal with the same thing. Uh, man, I'm, I'm imagining this morning you might be wondering, after last week, uh, where are we going to go today? Um, that's going to be a bad idea. I'm not going to be able to continue to bend over and pick that up if I have to. Uh, let's put that right there. That's why it's there. And I want to assure you, if you're thinking that this morning, of where we're going to go after a good, healthy discussion on the doctrine of the Trinity, man, I want to assure you that this identity series is one that both Corey and I are very excited about walking through with you. Um, and there's reasons for that. And actually, we were, uh, I was actually asked that question this week of, hey, well, so where is this series going to go? And so I said, well, all right, well, the first two weeks are kind of a part one, part two. Um, you know, they kind of go hand in hand, they go together. And uh, then what we're going to do over the course of the next eight or nine weeks after that is kind of see God for who God is. And then the following week, see man's response in terms of who God is. So it's going to be a good, a good back and forth um, together, because personally, we believe that, man, we just really need to have a good understanding of, of who God is and who we are in him. And man, I want to tell you that um, Corey was Incredibly excited about last week. Uh, man, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with him about the Trinity. Um, enter at your own risk. Okay, that's how I'm going to put that to you because that brother loves to talk about the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, how the Trinity ties into all of our other doctrinal beliefs. I mean, he really... Honestly, he's not here today, so I can pick on him. I'm fine with it. But anyway, um, you know, it's one of those things where honestly, he should probably write a book on it, and I would imagine it would probably be a really good book, okay? Um, in fact, if I had a chance to forward that book, I would say, this book is really good. You should read it multiple times. Uh, but anyway, uh, Corey was supposed to be here this morning and preaching uh, part two of this message series, and Forrest was going to be here leading us in worship just like he did this past week. I was hoping by God's grace that I'd be sitting here with you all, worshiping with you all, um, just kind of some, taking some time to reflect and, and map out the remainder of our year. But in God's plan and by his graces, we uh, had to call an audible this weekend. Um, you see, this morning has looked nothing like what Corey and I planned, what, what we had anticipated. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine about this last night, and he said, you know, honestly, this is what John Piper uh, would call providential. And I was like, well, of course he would. He just wrote a 600-page book about it. Uh, so clearly he would call this providential. However, I would agree with him. But I want to tell you that uh, yesterday I woke up, uh, yesterday morning, fully prepared, fully anticipated to, to attend my daughter's basketball games. And uh, my younger two are playing basketball. It was their last game of the season. Um, both of them have grown tremendously in basketball. I will admit both of them at eight and six are way better at basketball than I ever will be. And so I was just really enjoying not being a coach, uh, just really being a dad and kind of hanging out, watching two of my girls do something that they've really grown to love and grown to appreciate. And it was a lot of fun 
fun coming into yesterday's games because we were hoping to finish with wins, and by God's grace, both of them won. Um, if Skylar were here right now, I think she's next door with my wife, uh, she would tell you that her team went undefeated this season, uh, which they did, which is awesome. Uh, I have never known what that was like to go undefeated, but her team did. Um, and then Naomi just uh, put on a clinic on how to hit layups. I mean, it was really fun. I was like, I just, I just wish I could hit layups like an eight-year-old could. You know, that's kind of my goal now. And so in the midst of the morning, about 930 uh, on our way to the games, I get a text message uh, from Corey and I knew Corey hadn't been feeling well this week. And he messaged me and said, brother, I got bad news for you. Um, I am sick and I am not going to make it. And I thought to myself, okay, no big deal. This has happened before. I mean, I've been doing this for quite a while. Should be easy to pull a sermon. And then literally 30 minutes after I got that text message, Forrest texted me and said, brother, I am out with a high fever. Um, and I am just not feeling well at all. Like the only thing that's making me feel better right now is medication. And I thought to myself, awesome. So here I am at this gym for roughly the next two to three hours watching basketball, knowing that when I get home, we've got a full service to plan and we've got a sermon to prepare for. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I got home about 1.30 yesterday afternoon, and I knew that I had to have a full service and sermon fully prepped and planned by 5.30 because my wife had evening activities that she was already committed to. And by God's providential grace, man, um, I was able to crank out four hours worth of study. Now, you might think, wow, that's a lot of time. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I roughly spend 8 to 10 to 12 hours in study per week for one message. And so I was literally stressed out. And so thankfully, by God's grace, Nick and Jules stepped up and said, hey, we'll, we will faithfully lead us in worship. And I'm thankful for them and thankful that they did. Excuse me again. And so they came through on that, and uh, I was actually talking to Jules before the service, and I said, Jules, what are we going for today uh, in terms of service? Are we going to be good or are we going to be not? She said, we're going to be all right, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think they did better than I right this morning, and so I'm thankful for you guys. Now I'm just hoping the sermon is all right, okay? So that's kind of the goal at this point, so I appreciate you guys setting us up for that. But uh, before we go any further, man, can we just, I want to pause for a moment if we could, because um, I know that what Corey's at home dealing with right now, both with him and his family and I know with Forrest, um, I know none of us are, are immune to these same issues. We have so many right now who are homes. You can look around and tell, dealing with sicknesses, dealing with colds, dealing with flu-like symptoms. We've got several who are out again dealing with COVID. And so do you mind if we just pause for a moment and can we just, can we just pray uh, for those in our faith family who are just dealing with sickness right now? Can we do that before we go any further? Uh, let's just do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Man, Father God, we come before you looking to you as our divine healer. And God, we, we, we come to you recognizing that in the midst of dealing with issues, in the midst of dealing with sicknesses, we realize just how fatally flawed we are as mankind. And so, Father, we pray right now for so many in our faith family right now who are home, who are dealing with sicknesses today, whether it's the moms and dads who are sick, whether it's children that are sick. God, we pray for those who are dealing with the flu right now. We pray for those who are dealing with COVID. God, we ask that in a, in a powerfully divine way, that Lord, that you would just give them grace this morning. Father, I pray that this morning as they woke up that that they would begin to feel better. 
Father, we pray for healing for each of these families. And God, I pray that even in the midst of their absence, Father, I pray that they would know how much they mean to our faith family, how much we love them, how much we miss them. And so God, whether it's our faith family members that are home today or whether it's us this morning in worship, God, I pray that as we prepare to unpack your word, Father, may you and you alone be glorified. So Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we pray for healing today. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for praying with me this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. And um, man, I'm going to go ahead and tell you how this is going to operate. We had no anticipation of being in Ephesians this early in the series. So kind of the best way to sum this up for you is what you heard last week with uh, the doctrine of the Trinity and what we were supposed to get into with the attributes. If you were making a sandwich, that was going to be the top layer of the bread, Okay. Um, in order to set up what else was going to go on the sandwich. And over the next eight or nine weeks, we were actually going to unpack all the meats and the cheeses and the, the lettuce and the tomatoes and, and whatever else it is that you put on your, your sandwich. I'm, I'm a sauce kind of guy when it comes to sandwich. I like mayonnaise and mustard and salt and pepper and spices and all that. Is anybody with me on that? Okay, good. It's good to know that I'm not alone. But anyway, um, so we were going to unpack all that over the next eight or nine weeks. And then what ultimately was going to happen is we were going to kind of land with where we're going to be this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, um, which kind of helps explain the why. You see, earlier this week, I had somebody uh, come into my office to, uh, this week, and they sat down, and we were talking. And, you know, as, as everybody does, when you walk into somebody's office, if there's a dry erase board and there's stuff written on the board, what do you do? You look at the board, right? You're curious as to what's on the board. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you it wasn't my handwriting on the board. It was actually Corey's. Uh, Corey and I were mapping out the year in terms of uh, where we'd hope to be as a church and where we'd hope to be in terms of our worship services and what we wanted to teach on. And, you know, Corey can't stand my handwriting along with 99% of other people that I know. And so he erased all my handwriting and rewrote it in his handwriting. And that was what was on the board. And, and the bulk of what was on the board was this series called Identity that we are currently walking through. And so somebody was asking me about the series. And I kind of explained to them what I'd already shared with you this morning about the series. And then they asked this question. They said, okay, well, well why is this so important? And I didn't really know how well to answer that question other than to say this. Listen, our goal is to be a better church. That's the goal. And in order to be a better church, we have to have a better understanding of who God is and who we are in light of who God is. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1 with that in mind. Now, you may be thinking, Good, we're getting into the New Testament again, and you might be saying, man, yes, Ephesians chapter 1, if you read it, very easy passage. So there's no way that this text is going to drag out this morning, and there's no way we're going to be dropping massive theological words that we have no idea what they mean. And here's the truth. The reality is, yes, this sermon won't drag. In fact, if you read the letter to the church at Ephesus, you'll clearly realize that it's a very simple and straightforward letter. In fact, if you were to read it in its entirety, six chapters, roughly four pages in a normal-sized Bible, you could probably read through the entire letter with a simple understanding in less than 20 minutes. But here's what we also know about Ephesians as well. You see, Ephesians may be one of the most modern, gospel-centric books that we now have in the Bible. 
It's a letter that if we pay careful attention to what Paul was writing about, it will clearly help us see how we are called to be a better church. Now, let me unpack what I mean about being a better church this morning before you begin to tune me out here. No, in saying that we are attempting to be a better church, we are not comparing ourselves to others. This is not an attempt to compare ourselves with other churches in our area or other churches in our region or other sister churches that may be around us. And no, this morning we are not calling people out. At the same time, I want you to know that in order to be a better church is not us admitting or blaming our history for our problems, whether it was our distant history or whether it's been our most recent history. But rather, the goal for us this morning is to seek to learn and grow together through the opening words of Paul to the church at Ephesus. In fact, when we study Ephesians, I love what Klein Snodgrass says about it. He says, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in history. Well, why is that? Because when we study Ephesians, it's Ephesians that helps to deepen our understanding of the gospel. Ephesians magnifies the importance of the local church. Ephesians is a letter that changes lives. In fact, Ephesians, excuse me, is one of the most contemporary epistles in the New Testament, and it provides grace-filled encouragement throughout. You see, when you read the letter of Ephesians, it ultimately points us back to Jesus Christ. It points us back to the importance of grace and ultimately back to the importance of the local church which if I could be honest with you for a moment, are items that I believe that we are missing in a post-pandemic world. So this morning, I'm hoping that as we study our passage together, that we will see not only why is it important to know who God is and ultimately who we are in him, but that we will also see how we can become a better church together because of God. So again, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be very simple today. We're looking at verses 1 and 2. So once you have found your place in the book of Ephesians, if you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. Excuse me. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this morning. And Father, as we sit down to study two verses together, Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts and our minds to your truth. Open our eyes and our ears to your word. And God, may you, in these next few moments, be glorified. Father, we thank you for your word and for how you speak through your word. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us. We thank you for how all things work together for your good or our good and ultimately your glory. Father, we had no idea how this morning was going to go, but Lord, we rest in knowing that you're the one that holds it. 
So Father, prepare our hearts for your truth today. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified as we study your word together. Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Now, usually at this point I do some sort of introduction or kind of setting the tone, but we're gonna actually intertwine that as we walk through this text together. So let's answer the question this morning, how do we become a better church? First, I want us to see that the answer to that is found in the very beginning of verse one. In order to become a better church, it must first start with the individual. Notice how Paul begins Ephesians one, verse one. He says, Paul. Now I wanna highlight that because clearly we now know that this letter was written by Paul. We know that this was written sometime around AD 62 when Paul was under house arrest in Rome which would have put the letter around the same time as the writing to the Colossians as well as the writing to Philemon. Now, at this point, I want you to pay careful attention because when I first got here as your pastor, we actually studied the letters to the Colossians and to the Ephesians uh, together, one right after the other. And we did so based on what C.L. Mitten tells us about these letters. You see, he says that if you study Colossians and Ephesians together, you should do so and would do well because 26.5% of the wording that appears in Colossians appears in Ephesians as well. So it's really easy for us to deduce this morning that this letter was written from Paul's own words and not only written from his own words, but written with the thought of two churches in mind. But notice the next phrase that Paul gives us. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. You see, from this very phrase, we can see that Paul had clearly come a long way within his faith. Paul started his journey as a persecutor of Christians, and now he has been made into an apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. It's just like what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Do you see what Paul is acknowledging at this point to Timothy? Do you see the the truth that he is now acknowledging? You see, if anyone in the history of the world could ever make the argument for world's worst sinner, Paul would be the guy. Paul would have won the trophy or the plaque or the t-shirt repeatedly over and over and over again. You see, for Paul, he didn't just simply commit sin, but it was Paul who was executing those who believed in the freedom and the grace that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And so Paul, in telling us that he is now an apostle of Jesus Christ, is reminding us that God can radically change anyone at any time as he sees fit. You see, for us today as individual members of the local church, we need to remember where it is that we came from. You see, we too were once sinners in need of grace. We were once sinners in need of salvation. We too were once people who needed a radical heart change that would ultimately lead us to a radical life change. And because of our own faith in Jesus Christ and how he called us to him, we need to remember that there are people all around us who still 
need Jesus. And the reality is no one is without hope. Let me unpack what I'm talking about here for a moment. You see, if you think about your own life for a moment, if we were to, if we were to better yet, if we just had TVs all over this room and on every TV was each member's individual life, could you imagine what that would be like? I kind of wonder how many of our lives would be more like the Home and Garden channel and how some of our lives would be like DIY. I would imagine some of our lives would be like the Cartoon Network, you know, just kind of, I don't know, somebody would probably be like, yeah, I'm Wiley Coyote. I'm constantly getting hit. But anyway, I would just imagine how different our lives would look if we could put them up on televisions. But I would imagine if as our lives played out, I would imagine that some of us grew up probably in God-honoring homes. And praise God for that. But at the same time, I imagine that some of us grew up in broken homes. Maybe not even knowing where our next meal was going to come from. I'd imagine that as the TV continued to play, some of us would realize that we grew up in homes where both parents were there and they were available and they were faithfully shepherding their children in the ways of God. While others of us would be dealing with the heartbreak of only having one parent around at all. You see, I would imagine that all of us, if we watched our lives play out on these TV, could probably say, hey, before Jesus Christ, I was accomplishing a lot in life. My life was moving forward. Life was happening. But yet there was still something missing. And so maybe at that point in in watching the television show of your life, maybe at that point someone shared Jesus with you. Maybe at that point, someone invited you to come and see and come be a part of the local church. Who knows how you came to faith, but one thing is for certain, there was a day that came where all of a sudden it all clicked and you came to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now you may be asking, man, what is the point? Well, here's our reality this morning. Man, if God can grab Paul, if God can grab us, then he can take hold of anyone around us. So as Christians, we should never give up hope. You see, this is where I love what John Piper says in terms of grace and in terms of hope and and in terms of salvation. He says, yes, yes, as believers, we do have free will. Yes, as believers, we do have the ability to say no. However, God in his goodness, God in his omnipotence and his his all-powerfulness can penetrate our no and reveal himself to us. That's what makes grace so irresistible. So my question for us this morning in terms of ourselves, who do we need to start praying for that maybe we've given up on? Who in our lives have we said, man, this this person will never come to faith in Jesus Christ. It'll never happen. Who is that one person that as a faith family, individually and collective, that we now need to be praying for, knowing that God can change the trajectory of a man in an instant? You see, coming back to our text, we see that Paul went from a sinner in need of a grace to now he's an apostle. And so here Paul acknowledges that his authority as an apostle now comes from Jesus Christ who made him such. So for us today as believers, we need to realize that our authority authority comes from Jesus' saving grace. Our authority to proclaim him comes through his holy word. 
But I want you to notice that Paul wasn't done. He went on to a different phrase. He went on to say, by the will of God. You see, God's will now is going to become an important theme throughout the rest of the letter to the Ephesians. In fact, if you read the letter, you'll clearly see that Paul's goal was to emphasize God's purposes and God's plan throughout this letter to the church at Ephesus. In fact, if you flip over to Galatians, Paul speaks of God's will and God's plan again in Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. You see, here Paul admits. Paul admits that he became a believer. Paul admits he became a believer who began preaching and teaching and living on mission not because he attended a church with super cool music. Paul admits that he became a believer and he began preaching and teaching and and living a life on mission not because of of that super awesome pastor who wears skinny jeans and, and high top Nikes. You'll never catch me dead in those, by the way. Nikes, I mean. Skinny jeans too, let's be honest. In fact, if my wife buries me in a pair, you know she hated me. Let's just go ahead and be real, okay? Just know it. You see, Paul tells us that he became a believer. He began to preach and teach the good news of Jesus Christ. He began to live a life on mission because of the sovereign will of God. You see, Paul coming to faith in Jesus Christ was all a part of God's sovereign plan. So how does this now uh, tie into our identity series you may be asking about, okay? Here's how it ties in. Listen to this. God the Father in Paul's life, and our lives as well, and the lives of every person, God the Father had a plan from the beginning. And a part of that plan involved sending his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to not only teach us the ways of God, but then to die the death that we deserved as an act of grace and mercy to therefore appease the wrath of God because of our sin. And now Jesus Christ, who pleads on our behalf through the atonement by the grace of God, has now sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who now leads us and guides us until the day that we are reunited with God in glory. Man, do we realize that we are a part of God's plan? Do you realize that, that what, you're, what you're going through, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, the celebrations and the heartaches, this is all a part of God's plan for us? And it's God who calls us to serve. It's God who calls us to share Jesus Christ and to make him known. And if we're going to become a better church, it has to begin with us. Acknowledging that sovereign God is in total control of all things. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is how are we doing at living God's will for our lives? You see, to become a better church, we have to become better people. We have to realize that we live for the will of God. It means that we recognize who God is and how we now belong to him. That leads us to our second point. 
and how to be, be a better church. And that is again found in verse one. We need to recognize the mission. So it starts with the individual. Secondly, we need to recognize the mission. Now notice what Paul says here in this very next phrase. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now some would argue at this point that Ephesus should not be included here because really this is a circular letter meant to go out to a a region of churches. However, Ephesus is included because Paul spent the bulk of his third missionary journey here in Ephesus, what would ultimately amount to three years of that particular journey. Now, before we go any further, we need to understand a little bit about Ephesus and what was going on during Paul's day. You see, Ephesus was a busy port city full of wealth and full of people from all walks of life. At the time Paul arrived, Ephesus would have probably been the fourth or fifth largest city in the world, which would have made it similar to modern-day Manhattan in New York. Ephesus, during Paul's day, was known as the gateway city to the world. And notice what Paul did. Paul ministered to the people, if you continue to read in Ephesians. He established multiple churches within the region. He led people to the gospel, both in the temple and wherever it was that he could teach and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But if you continue to read Ephesians, you see that Paul also faced many hardships. Paul faced tears and and trials and even wild beasts as you read this letter. Paul encountered a people who were hard to the gospel. They were caught up in pagan worship or they were caught up in some form of emperor cultic worship where the emperor was proclaimed as the savior of all. And yet here is the truth for us this morning. None of these things would deter Paul from the mission that he had before him. Why? Because Paul knew who God is. Notice in our text, we have this word saints. Now this word saints that Paul uses actually takes its root from the Old Testament. We read a little bit of it this morning in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, which says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, Paul, in line with the Old Testament, is now reminding the believers in Jesus Christ, both Gentile believers and Jewish believers, that we are now a people who have been set apart and called holy because we are now united with Jesus Christ. You see, as Christians today, we would do well to remember that we are now saints and not in terms of what Catholics think of saints. But rather, we are a people that are called to be holy, a people that are called to be set apart. Now, does this mean that we now need to run from the world because we are set apart? No, absolutely not. But it does mean that we live lives and speak words that point people to the one who does run the world, the one who has total control of all things, the one who now sits at the right hand of God, the one who saves, and again, his name is Jesus. Coming back to our text, Paul continues. 
And speaking to the saints who are in Ephesus, he says, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, some have interpreted this word faithful as trustworthy, but I think a more accurate rendering of the word is actually believer. You see, here Paul is speaking to all the churches who are now in union with Jesus Christ. So in this phrase, Paul now gives us really the heart of Christianity, if you will, or better yet, the heart of the church, which is this. We are to be united in Christ, and because of Christ, we are now united with one another as believers. Now, does that mean we are always going to get along? No. But it does mean that we share a common foundation that brings us together. The same foundational truth that we share in Jesus Christ is what we share as a faith family at the end of our services with communion. And that is this, as believers in Christ, we belong to Christ. Now again, coming back to our text, Paul here was not only speaking to the church at Ephesus, but his, this letter probably went out to multiple churches within that region. Now, each of these churches had good leadership, but the reality is when, when Paul disappeared, all of a sudden their, their main teacher disappeared. They didn't hear a thing from Paul or about Paul for what could have been seven to eight years until he ultimately wrote this letter back to them. And so what happens what happens to a church when it, when it forgets what it's been taught according to the word? The church begins to sever because of its differences. And so Paul calls them back to faithfulness in Christ Jesus, which should lead them back to faithfulness towards each other. I want you to hear for a second what Paul is saying in this one phrase. As Christians today, let us not allow our differences or our disagreements separate us from the family of God. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there for you. I am right now, and, and, and right now, and I'm, I'm hearing this from other pastors, okay? I talked to a pastor yesterday about the same situation. Right now, there are too many people in our churches who get upset about one little thing, and all of a sudden they bail. They jump ship. They get into one argument and they're gone. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as Christians who are called to be faithful in Christ Jesus, that is just unacceptable. I mean, I don't even allow that in my home. I mean, could you imagine? I, I live with four children who are girls. And I got a wife. I am outnumbered in my house all day, every day, five to one. Okay? I have called many of you over to my house before. I've called you over so we can build relationships together, so we can share and friendships together, but really I call you over just so I can have more male presence in the room in hopes that I might win an argument one day. That day has not happened. Jonathan, back me up. Am I telling the truth? Daniel, you've been there. All you guys, I haven't won an argument. But here's the reality. In my house, we argue. In our house, man, we get upset. I know it's hard to believe. Oh my goodness, you mean people get upset in the pastor's house? Ah, yes. 
Okay, my children aren't perfect. I don't come home and all of a sudden they're, they're reading the catechisms. It's not happening. I don't come home and, and all of a sudden Miley looks at me and says, Father, after dinner we will sing a hymn together and then pray. That does not happen in my house. She doesn't even talk like that. Okay, we're, we're flawed people. But here's the reality. And I'm, oh, by the way, if you don't know this about my house yet, we're a loud house. Brooklyn, right? We're a loud house. Yeah, there we go. And we're loud. We get loud. We do. Listen, I've come home times during the day, and I can hear my kids in the house. And we're all loud. Okay, if you haven't figured that out about the Harvey family, we are loud people. All right? But here's the reality. We may argue. We may get upset. But as a family, we don't let those frustrations separate us from who we are. At the end of the day, in my house, you are still a part of our family. And so when it comes to our faith family, we shouldn't be letting arguments separate us from who we are because we belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ because we believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and that he is Lord. And because of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, we recognize that we are now on mission for the glory of God. And because of these things, this is how we ought to be living as a church. We need to find better ways to come together for the purpose of unity in Jesus Christ our Lord. If we can't agree on anything else, then let's agree on that foundational truth and then we'll go from there. So I gotta ask us this morning, man, how are we now unified in our mission? How are we now living out our call and our purpose together for the glory of God? You see, Paul teaches us that becoming a better church means that we need to see our mission and call to live in unity with one another as a local church for the purpose of making Jesus Christ known through the mission that God has given us both in our actions and in our words. This brings us to our third point this morning. Paul says, in order to become a better church, in verse 2, we have to be willing to share the message. You may be asking this morning, man, what is this message? I'm sure the message is just Jesus, but I want you to notice what Paul says to us about this message. Paul says in verse 2, he says, grace to you and peace. Notice what Paul does. Paul doesn't say, hello. I know you haven't heard from me in a while, but here I am living the dream under house arrest. It's great. No, he offers a simple prayer to the Ephesians. He prays grace for them. He prays peace for them. If I could, simply and loosely, let me define these words. Grace being getting what it is that we don't deserve. Peace being freedom from disturbance and not just having it, but knowing peace, the peace that transcends all understanding according to Philippians chapter four. Notice that Paul sought no fame in his introduction, but rather he prayed for the believers to be filled with the message of grace and the message of peace. Now, again, I want to tell you, if you study Ephesians, and we're not, we're not going back through Ephesians, don't hear that today, but if you were to study it for yourself, I would want you to notice and encourage you to notice how many times the message is repeated throughout Ephesians. 
You see, for us to have unity with Jesus Christ and unity with one another, we need to seek out and pray for grace and pray for peace over one another. Let me unpack what I mean for a moment. When we approach a situation or we approach someone, maybe it's to share the gospel, maybe it's to, maybe it's to seek understanding, do we pray grace over them? Do we pray peace for them? You see, Paul, in his opening introduction, has given us a great weapon to seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. He tells us to pray for them. And not just pray, Lord, convict them of their wrong. God, give them grace. Lord, give them peace. You see, we can pray this way not only for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, God, reveal your grace to them. God, reveal your peace to them so that they can come to know you as Savior and Lord. We can pray that way. But we can also pray this for one another as well. Dare I say that I imagine that Paul, even in writing to the Ephesians, probably prayed this for the Roman guard as well, who he was shackled to. Lord, I pray grace and peace over this person. You see, I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Notice Jesus' own words about prayer here. Our greatest weapon is to seek peace. Uh, in order to seek peace and seek unity is prayer. Our greatest weapon is, is not firing shots at one another over social media. Our greatest weapon is not hoping that the next great politician will come along and save us. We are not waiting and should not be waiting for the world to do what it is that the church is called to do. And as God's people, we are called to pray. You see, Paul knew that peace and grace comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually finishes verse 2 by saying this. And so in his own words, we see that the power of grace and peace is not something that we have found on our own, but rather it comes from our Lord. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, do we pray grace for people daily? Do we pray peace for people, da uh, people daily? Man, let me take it a step further if I could. Do we pray grace and peace for the people we don't really care about? Do we pray grace and peace for that waiter or that waitress that may be running a little slow? Grace and peace for that person who cut us off in traffic? Do we pray that for people that we're not real happy with at all? You see, Paul teaches us to become a better church. We need to be a people who pray we need to be a people who willingly share the message of grace and the message of peace that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. To become a better church, we need to be a people who say, look, you want to, excuse me, you want to see grace? We need to be able to look at others and say, hey, you want to see peace? Then come with us. Come be a part of our family. Come hear about the goodness and the mercy of God that is found in knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
We don't always get it right. And man, we're not always perfect. But we do know how to practice. And we know how to pray. And we will pray grace. And we will pray peace. You see, Paul, in his opening remarks, wastes no time getting into some very heavy thoughts for the church at Ephesus. You see, through this opening statement, we see our need to better understand God so that we can better know ourselves, which should ultimately lead us to becoming a better church. Now, again, in order to be a better church, I want to reemphasize this. It doesn't mean that we become better than others. It doesn't mean that we become better than those who are around us, but rather it means that to be better, it must first begin within us realizing who we are because of who God is. We must then recognize that by the glory of God, we have been called to a mission that he has given to us by his will. And in the midst of that mission, we need to see the call to get out and share the message, a message of grace, a message of peace, a message that says, come and see, a message that points people to Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, as we continue our identity series together, man, I hope, my hope and my prayer is that we begin to see and understand a little more about who God is. And in the midst of it, I hope we understand better who we are because of our sovereign God. I hope we also see what it is that we are called to be as a church. And I don't know about you, but no one said being a faith family would be easy. Nobody said being a part of a church would be easy. Nobody said being a follower of Jesus Christ would be easy. But I do know this, man, we are called to be different. We are called to be better. And so my prayer is beginning today and through this series, we would do our part in becoming a better church. Let's pray together.